Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. It's not that, Andrew. On the Red Apple Podcast Network, here's Andrew Giuliani. Welcome back. And today we're here. We're going to continue our city council interviews today with uh, somebody who I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, George Havernick, who is running for City Council District 13 in the Bronx. George, thank you so much for spending the time and being here today. I appreciate it. Andrew, I got to say thank you for the opportunity to be here. And uh, I'm humbled by the invitation, honestly. Well, I've seen you all over the district, even before you announced for a candidate. You've been a mainstay in fighting for your community. Tell me, what inspired you to run for city council? My inspiration was I did not like the way the council was going. Mm-hmm. I seen the direction the city council was going. I seen a collective mindset taking over what is actually a, an area district position. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a collectiveness that was basically shaping neighborhoods and communities in the city, mm-hmm. especially in matters of land use. Mm-hmm. And that should not happen. Yeah. So when you talk about land use, this is, I know, a, a major issue, uh, you know, specifically in Throg's Neck and Country Club. Uh, this is something that you've been fighting for for a long time. Tell me a little bit about the issues facing District 13 regarding land use, regarding upzoning. Well, what we call it, we, the term that city plannings like to use is rezoning. Yeah. You know, that's what they like to use. But well, we know that there's only one direction it's going in right now is up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the technical term is rezoning. But what's going on right now is we see more and more people coming in and we see more vertical development. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. And we had a designated low density growth management area, which is still in place. Mm-hmm. And with certain Things that have just come into play, especially along the Bruckner corridor, that's the big battle we had, you know, back and still ongoing. And uh, we seen that was in the middle of the LDGMA. Mm -hmm. And that was actually going to be something that we could blow it apart because there's a lot of moving parts when you rezone or upzone. Mm -hmm. You have transit corridors, you have contextual zoning. There are so many things that come into play that actually go over the head of the common folk. And we tried to educate them in certain areas so that way they would get a scope of what was going to happen to the community. Yeah. It was basically once you go in that direction, there's no going back. Mm-hmm. So you had to be careful with this. In terms of uh, educating the community on this, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned the, the Bruckner rezone, mm-hmm. uh, which I know is an issue that you focused on uh, and were instrumental in. Have you seen public support kind of sway since uh, since your involvement in this? We see public sentiment has become amplified. And it has grown in the favor of keeping certain things as far as the density of the zonings in intact because you see we have a very diverse footprint Mm -hmm. in cd13 and diversity of living environment for me is a very big thing in the city because we are a very diverse city yeah you know diversely populated 
and our population in CD13 actually mirrors that of New York City itself. Yeah. So diversity of living environment is important because people should have a choice whether they want the hustle and bustle of, uh, you know, of a Manhattan-esque type environment or they want a lower pace of sort of like a little bit of slice of suburbia. Yeah. And I use the acronym SLICE for suburban life inside city environment. That, like was, that. that was my uh, thing that I was using. Right. And, you know, thankfully to a good team that I had, you know, with uh, Michelle and John Serini, among others, uh, we uh, educated the public in certain aspects of zoning as far as knowing what an R6 was as opposed to what an R3 is. And, you know, people did not realize what can actually happen to a community once something gets changed. Yeah. Uh, enlighten me. What is the difference between an R6 and an R3? Well, when you look at an R3, you know, you're talking basically R3 is all fours, one and two family homes. You know, you get an R6, um, you're talking you could go up 85 feet. Yeah. And with certain other things in play, you had a community center or something at the bottom, you could get an extra story from the, uh, you know, from from the city planning. Yeah. So you have to be careful what you do. You have to really do your homework on this mm -hmm. and be very diligent because, I mean, there's a lot of lobbyists involved that in these ventures, you know, more than people know. Oh, yeah. And when you, you know, peel the onion, you find a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, what we've seen, I mean, on all levels of politics is when money gets involved, whether it be at a local district level or whether it be at a national and international level, um, sadly, sometimes the constituents of the community, uh, their needs are forgotten. Uh, and sometimes the lobbyists, the developers, uh, their needs uh, take precedence, if you will. Well, hence the battle cry, mm -hmm. community need before investor greed. Yeah. That was our battle cry. Mm. That was one of many. And, you know, it goes back for me, it goes back to council member DeMarco many, many years ago when I was a much younger man. And I really didn't understand what he was saying at the time because, you know, things were going over my head. And he said to me, George, remember one thing. A community's best weapon against politicians and developers is zoning. Mm. You lose your zoning, you're going to lose a lot. Right. And that's why one of our other battle cries during this up zone was lose your zoning, lose your community mm -hmm. because it'll be gone. Yeah. And community is something that we should hold on to. Absolutely. And, and one of the things about District 13, and, and you mentioned this already, but I think it, it bears repeating, uh, it really is a great microcosm for New York City in the sense that uh, it is such a, a, a diverse population, diverse landscape. Like you said, you could get a little bit more of a Manhattan bustle feeling. You could get more of a suburban life. So beautiful right there around Throg's Neck Country Club. Um, but what do you what do you love most about your district? What I love about my district is the diversity it holds now. Yeah. I like the differences in different areas. Whether you want the, say, the nautical feel, the maritime feel, whatever, however you want to word it, in yeah. the city island. Mm -hmm. Or you want to see something a little more, say, hustle and bustle when you go on the corridors, uh, say, uh, you know, around Morris Park Avenue, East Tremont Avenue, on the, on the commercial corridors. Yeah. It's fine. You have a lot of different things you could do there. Yeah. There's a lot of diversity there now. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that you have to keep you know change what's there now because there's so many moving parts i mean some things that people f fail to realize is something is an acronym aor 
is the biggest threat to our community. That's as of right development. Everybody rants and raves about somebody, a politician with a similar acronym. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. But I always said, listen, you can rail you all you want, but right. you better know what AOR is because that's going to affect your life more than anything. Because as a council member, the city council is the most influential body in New York City as far as your everyday quality of life. That is our Congress. Mm-hmm. And the city council today... This city council and actually the previous council used the city charter, which is actually our New York City constitution. Yeah. They used it like a playground. Yeah. And not for our benefit. Yeah. You know, what strikes me about you in particular, George, is how in the weeds you are regarding not just the city charter, but I mean, you really understand your district down to the T. I think in some ways that, um, you know, even I've seen on a gubernatorial level that a lot of candidates did not understand and all that. Um, You really enjoy getting into the weeds of these issues. I can tell, don't you? Well, it's something that actually, I guess you could say invigorates me, provokes thought, inspires thought. And it also makes me want to educate others so that way they know what they're up against. Because the everyday person is very, very busy mm-hmm. and they don't have time to get and do research and yeah. understand the magnitude of certain things. Because many things that are presented are not presented in the whole. Right. They're giving you bits and pieces, little snippets. Mm-hmm. And so we try to present the picture as a whole and let them know what's going to be the short term impact as well as the long term impact. Yeah. Because one of the things that I believe in, you have to be ready for the long term. Mm -hmm. Because remember, Andrew, no matter how you look at it, the short term does not include the long term. Mm -hmm. But the long term is what is going to hurt you. Right. And, And I assume when you're talking about that, you're talking about the good of the community, the long term being the good of the community versus the short term kind of being, let's say, as you mentioned before, potential greed in uh, in in monetary uh, uh, push, if you will, or, or is that is that kind of what you're referring well, to? Well, it's in any it's it basically goes across many spectrums. It's not just pigeonholed to that, mm-hmm. because no matter what you need, sometimes you need a short term fix to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. OK, you got to put a bandaid on it. Right. But then you need the major operation, which is the long term to get the whole fix in. You can't just do one without the other. Right. Because the problem's just going to resurrect, as you see problems are resurrecting now. Yeah. You see problems over in the other side of the district mm-hmm. with the 1900 Seminole Project. Mm-hmm. Why is that happening? That is a result of the Rikers closure. Mm-hmm. Now, when the Rikers closure happened, I wrote about it. I preached about it, fell on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And the n- narrative was, we're just going to have... Put the jails in the boroughs. In your communities. But when you look at it, people were like, okay, but they did not tell you that the jails they were going to put in the boroughs, number one, were going to be very small in size and not have the amenities that they had at Rikers Island. Mm -hmm. So now where are these things going? And that was the question that I posed to a lot of local elected officials. Mm -hmm. And I was not given answers. Mm -hmm. So now this is now an ancillary effect. You have the Rikers inmates going into 1900 Mm -hmm. right so that's going to happen now if it doesn't happen there that doesn't mean it's going away right the bigger question that has to be asked in that project is where is that going to end up and what is the expectation of our communities 
going forward with the closure of Rikers, mm -hmm. because there are more and more service transition homes, et cetera, that are going to be coming into areas that are not used to having them. Right. And the community must be prepared for this. Yeah. So what is the bigger picture? That is a question that needs to be asked and answered. Yeah. That is the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Because you could stop it there, but it's going something else is going to happen somewhere else. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a chain effect and a snowball effect that goes down. And it certainly feels like riding the subway over here. The answer has been that uh, maybe some of those people that should be at Rikers or in institutions, we'll put it that way, um, have been uh, sadly uh, on our on our subways and, and on our streets these days. So. And, you know, that's true. I mean, you're getting into another area, you know, yeah. when you're talking mental health, mm -hmm. which is usually mental health is a very complex issue. Very. And it's usually just co-occurring issues. Yes. Mental health is usually tethered to substance abuse mm -hmm. issues and other things. Yeah. So it's a very, very thing. It's not a, it's not something that one stroke of legislation can fix. That's right. You know, that's something that you may have a very if you get a coin toss success rate, you may be lucky. Yeah. I mean, look at the world of substance abuse. Yeah. And that's something that's close to my heart mm -hmm. because that's something that I would work on in the world of substance abuse. I would try and get a pilot program initiated to see if we can get proper treatment for those that are drug addled. Mm -hmm. Maybe we do something where we have a proper outpatient mm -hmm. and inpatient right. model where we put people away for a period of time, mm -hmm. monitor them, get them the duration of time they need to get back on the straight and narrow. Then you monitor them afterwards and let's see how the cost effectiveness is. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it is. Yeah. Because that's something that could help us as right. society. With, with the end goal, taking, kind of taking these people who have dealt with this substance abuse for their life and instead of this revolving door of just going out, uh, get, getting high again, potentially, you know, breaking the law, going back in, uh, really actually trying to help them with their problems. And hopefully they can become productive members of, uh, of society, of the community. Well, that, that is the goal, isn't it? I mean, as parents, what's our goal? Yeah. To raise children that are productive members of society. That is our goal as parents. So, I mean, it extends further on. When, when you become in the political realm, your goal is to try and help people become as productive as they can yeah. to help your community be as productive as it can to help it be unified because communities common unity that is probably one of my things mm -hmm. and i always believe that it's inclusion bringing people in that brings the solution that's how it works yeah because you see what i was taught from a young age is that we're handing something good and that's our community mm -hmm. and then we are obliged to hand something better to the next generation right that's our obligation. And I was taught that very at a very, very young age. And I was taught that by my grandmother who had a big major part in raising me. Oh. See, because I know, you know, from my upbringing, I had a period of time in my life where I know what it's not to have. You know, my name on social media is George Have, and I could tell you, and it's something I don't like to talk about very much, but George Have knows what it's like not to have. Right. I know what it's like to have my lights turned off when I was a kid. I know what it's like to have my phone cut off for non-payment. I've been there. I've experienced that. That's a hardship. Yeah. I know what it's like. So I have I have a lot of sympathy for people that don't have. Yeah. 
And, you know, when you do have something, you want to give. You want to give to the community. You want to give to those less fortunate. Mm -hmm. But all within certain parameters. You don't want to go over the board. You don't want to have that reach that tipping point. You want to keep that equilibrium. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we always remain on the straight and narrow and put our community in the proper perspective and be giving and caring. But we also have to be careful that we don't go over the tipping points. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about your background. Well, my background is um, I'm born. I was born actually on 179th Street and Washington Avenue and okay. came to my particular neighborhood, my community now at a very young age. My community was actually a swamp when we came. Right. My grandmother and family collectively, they were, you know, immigrated from Sicily, despite my last name. <laughs> uh and uh, most of her family moved out to Long Island and uh, where it was more developed. Mm -hmm. My grandmother settled on this parcel of land that, oh, in this community because it was what they could afford. Mm -hmm. And it was basically a dump. I could show you pictures. It was actually a dump. <laughs> and people wouldn't even want to come over and visit us because right. the roads weren't done. The sewers weren't done. It was like really, it was very underdeveloped. Wow. Now it's very getting overdeveloped. Right. But that's another story. And, uh, you know, born and raised, you know, in the Bronx, uh, raised my children here, married, raised my children. I worked for from the New York telephone through the Verizon, the whole litany mm -hmm. for 34 years, held, ver held various jobs there, did a lot in my community, uh, ran sports programs. Mm -hmm. One that I'm proud of was a hockey clinic that I ran for about 20 years, free hockey clinic for all kids. Wow. Um, was involved in my neighborhood civic association. I am now president of the civic association. Was a member, a former member of community board 10 before I was, uh, we'll say dubiously not reappointed by our current council member, <laughs> who I'm a little at odds with, but that's another story. <laughs> Well, speaking of the other story, tell me a little bit about Marjorie Velasquez. No, this, well, listen, she, how could I put it? She lied to the community. She lied. As candidate Velasquez, she came into my civic association, into my community with people that trusted me. And she told us flat out she was against a certain project, the Bruckner Rezone, mm -hmm. and that she would side with the community she would bring anything back from the developers to the community and whatever the community wanted, she would side with them. She said this in front of 110 people. And at the, well, uh, God, it wasn't even the 11th hour, it was the 11th and a half hour, we could say. She changed the tune. And uh, in that period, when she was a candidate, she was singing a different tune. But she does that a lot. You know, you got to remember, you know, here's a woman that was, uh, you know, has a lot of political ties, mm -hmm. you know, has a husband that was involved in the Blasio administration. Mm -hmm. You know, he's now a commissioner of DEP. So, I mean, you know, she has some political ties. She sat on a community board for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she knows the game and she knows what she should have did. She knows what she did was wrong. Yeah. We had multiple meetings. You know, one was very, uh, 
Well, we'll say memorable. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because now there's a, actually a bill hanging around in in, uh, in city council where you can't pay for. I think there's a ten dollar limit on a credit, a debit card, or something, <laughs> and, and that's languishing and you know just hanging around. It's not doing anything. But it brought back to mind a meeting I had with her, and it was supposed to be a breakfast meeting about the rezone and things like that. It was just her and I, and we're sitting there and. I'll put it this way. We were supposed to have breakfast. Uh, we didn't get past the coffee. <laughs> she was so, oh boy, she got so angry. She walked out. She whipped out that debit card, went to pay, and they wouldn't take it from her because the bill was under $5. <laughs> so, so it was pretty funny, actually. It was actually pretty funny. So, but yes, you know, her and I do bunkheads. Mm -hmm. But, you know, listen, would I work with her, talk to her? Of course, you have to. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to because that's the way it works. Right. You know, sometimes you're not going to agree and sometimes there's going to be some strong disagreements, you know, really strong disagreements. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you know, at the end of the day, she did lie to the community on multiple occasions in multiple communities. Yeah. And there was no apology. There was no explanation. There was she never brought the community together with the landowners, mm -hmm. the property owners. And that was a big thing. Because, like I said, inclusion brings the solutions. Mm -hmm. Because there are things that could be done over there that have been palatable to the community. And that project is so disingenuous. Mm -hmm. They invoke the Silla Foundation in that project. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, at the end, there was no Silla Foundation. Really? Oh, yeah. Towers? Yes. Really? Yes. That's true. You yeah. can look it up. Okay. Um, she, they also were putting out the narrative that with the senior housing, it would be area residents that would have the first preference. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it with HPD, it has to be a citywide lottery. So that was a misinformation. Mm -hmm. Whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. Right. But the point is, it was not true and it was never corrected. So it seems like whether it be to you or the community, she was willing to say whatever she had to say, fictional, non-fictional, in order to get this project pushed through. And that kind of seems like a pretty good synopsis of her term. What, city council, is that right? We would have to find out from her. You know, it's sort of like the Roberto Duran no mas fight. We don't know what happened to Roberto, right? <laughs> what made him say no mas? I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, what made what what made Marjorie Velasquez say no mas? I don't know. Right. You'd have to ask her. The bottom line is she lied. She deceived. She does not deserve to have deceit anymore. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And to your point, she changes her stance like the way the political winds blow. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a woman that was uh, part of the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez group that wanted to fund the police, uh, what, four years ago? Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, she's backing the blue. Mm -hmm. Don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. Yeah. I just don't. You know, because I could tell you a story in my community. We had a young lady police officer being doxxed, protesters going to our house. Jeez. Horrendous. All right, because it's something that happened in the line of duty, something tragic that happened. Mm -hmm. Let's make that clear. And uh, tried to get her on board. Look what they're doing here. They painted some real vitriolic words in the street mm -hmm. in front of this woman's house. They were coming there in the middle of the night harassing her. And what do we get from her? Crickets. Mm -hmm. I was there with the captain from the NYPD's 45th precinct for four hours that day that they came out. These protesters came out in mass and NYPD had to go and get their own paint and get their own equipment and cover the hate 
speech, the vitriolic words themselves. And that really ticked me off. As you can hear, my my voice gets a little amplified in this because that's something I always back out blue. Mm -hmm. And I don't just talk the talk with that. You could ask anybody at in that precinct and they know I got their backs. Well, I've seen from your campaign, you guys really highlighted the flip-flop, if you will, that Velasquez has done. First being a defund the police person, as you just mentioned, and now claiming that she backs the blue. But I mean, you guys have pulled out and you guys have posted uh, basically her statements that have uh, that have uh, supported the defund the police movement. Is that not right? You know, when when the when somebody goes at the political winds, you know what the deal is. Mm-hmm. They're going to say whatever they have to say to be de- to, to get elected. Now, Andrew, many years ago, I was taught in psychology 101. The best indicator for future behavior is past behavior. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. Yeah. So what I do and tell other communities, I warn them. Yeah. Don't believe the rhetoric. Get it in writing. Get officials, get official statements on council letterhead. Mm-hmm. Get a letter from the borough president. If you need deference in a situation, find out how many other council members she has on her on her side. Because mm-hmm. we did that with the Bruckner up zone. We went out and we searched out and in the weeds. We got in the weeds and we went to certain council members. And the consensus we got is if she wanted, she could have got deference on that project, mm-hmm. despite what people say. Mm-hmm. They would have sided with her in land use because what she did there by not invoking deference to actually back the will of a community, she might have threw that tradition out the window. The tradition of council member deference might be gone now. And that would be a sad thing because, as I said, this is an area position, not a citywide position and a collective mindset in the city council should not shape every community, every neighborhood especially in the matters of land use that's going to change your environment. It shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. So speaking a little bit kind of what you would do if elected to the city council from a legislate from a legislation standpoint, you have any what would you what types of legislation would you push uh, as a city council? Member? Well, one thing that I would try and do, and this is a little different than just involves a little bit more because it involves a mayor commission and that would be with the city charter. Mm-hmm. I would try to get some legis- legislation in there that when a text amendment goes in to change zoning in a community, that the community has more awareness that they're not blindsided. I would also try to do something in the legislation as far as as, as a council member would introduce legislation that would piggyback that. Mm-hmm. So you could have one help the other. And if you don't have the city charter happen, which is kind of hard to do at times, you can have that legislative action. Mm -hmm. Also, something I would do is I would try to do something more to protect our police. I mean, making them a protective status goes beyond the city council level. Mm -hmm. But I would work to try and get that done because the sentiment in in our city right now, the there, there is still an anti-police sentiment that is still it is still looming here. Right. Let's call it like it is. You see the attrition rates yeah. going, to, and you know the overall uh, you know the 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 overall harmony over there is not good. Yeah, and we need to do more to create a better relationship between our communities and the NYPD. Yeah, I couldn't disagree with you more. I, and, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you know, even with some of the things, you know, we hear about, you know, certain story times, mm-hmm. like what I would like to see in our schools is how about story times with our 
NYPD, essential workers, our heroes from ground zero, our heroes from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, how about our veterans? Yeah. They could tell a story. Yeah. Even our housewives could tell a story. Moms, Mm -hmm. grandmoms, everybody. Yeah. You know, why not be a little more diverse in that in that domain? Yeah. We could do that Mm -hmm. because you know what? It's all about inclusion. Yeah. And, and that's something that we're not doing here. We're pushing certain agendas and forgetting other things that are staples of our values. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting back to other things, you know, when we had these mandates that went on. I mean, what went on now is like the heroes of yesterday. Yeah. Which wasn't that long ago. You're right. And now zeros. It's, it's horrendous. They should be hired back with back pay and made fully whole. And that's what they should do. And I would push for that. That's great. hundred percent. Well, you know, it's, what's been interesting is kind of listening to us talk during this interview. You've mentioned diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what gets me thinking is I've heard these words really being usurped, let's say, by the left for a while now. Diversity, equity, inclusion and talking about how uh, you advance kind of uh, not equal opportunity, but equal outcome, if you will. But. You really are using this the way that I think so many conservatives like myself really believe in the idea. I truly believe in a diversity of community and diversity of city and in this great country and diversity of this great country. I believe in including people from all different backgrounds and all that. And I believe that is the American way. It's the New York way as well. It's actually the way that we should act as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you a little story. And this is something that my grandmother taught me many years ago. This is when our community was very underdeveloped. We didn't have bulk service from the sanitation department. You used to have to take your bulk item, throw it in the trunk of your car, if you know somebody was lucky enough to have a truck back then, and haul it over to the Pelham Bay landfill, which is another story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she used to, we were standing atop the landfill one day, and, and she just said to me, George, what do you see here? And I'm like, I'm a little boy. I'm like, I have no idea what, what is she, a little crazy here. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm bewildered, actually. And she says, no, what do you see? And I just see seagulls flying around. So I'm describing what I see. And I'm, I'm not getting what she's saying. Right. So, you know, on this bumpy car ride, car ride back home, she starts telling me, you know, what you seen there? What do you see? I seen, I seen trash, garbage. She said, yes. But what else did you notice? And I had no idea. And she said, remember one thing. Trash comes in all shapes, colors, sizes. But so does good. So never judge anything or anyone on their shape, color, size, etc. And I was taught that as a young age, and I carry that to this day. That's a great lesson. Uh, Just a couple more questions here. But uh, how would you say the Adams administration has treated District 13? Has he helped? Has he hurt? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think with his basically very aggressive housing program, he's going to hurt District 13 in the long term. He's going to hurt it because you're going to lose the diversity of environment Mm -hmm. that I talked about, like the slice, the suburban life inside city environment. It will will be eradicated at some point. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time. But um, overall, I mean... As far as the CD13, I, I, I'd i have to say right now, as far as Mayor Adams, 
I can't give him a scorecard personally without going through a lot of research and doing a lot of things on that. Okay. But as far as in the matter of land use, which I can definitely speak about, I don't think he's helping us at all. Mm. He's hurting us, I would say. Okay. Any other, so, you know, we've covered land use, I feel like has been the majority of what we've talked about. We've talked about the defunding the police movement and, and how Velasquez has been involved in that and now flip-flopping, trying to claim that she is uh, actually supportive when, when we know that her heart is not there. We've talked a little bit about education. Uh, any other issues uh, specifically involving your community that uh, you'd like to highlight? Well, there's things that we have to keep doing. I mean, w number one, we have to make sure certain programs are still funded, our senior programs, our veterans programs, our after-school programs for our children. We, we have to do a little bit more education. You know, we have to help young parents. There are so many things that we have to do because what we got to do is we got to bring value back. The values, old fashioned values. And listen, I'm not a Bible thumper, far from it. But, you know, and like I, ch I challenge people and I say one thing, I said, you know, we have a Ten Commandments that that is religion. And I get it. Some people are turned off by religion and some aren't. But if you take out the commandments that include our Lord in them, what are you left with? Yeah. You're left with a beautiful thing. You have a community that don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. I mean, those are values right. and it's sort of the sandwich that we got to create mm -hmm. school is the bread mm -hmm. home is what you know that is that is the real meat of mm -hmm. everything and if we don't have that meat what are we just left with sliced bread yeah not very well tasting not no. a good tasting thing yeah. so the bottom line is at the end of the day we got to bring back you know the values that we need to make our community better to make our people better because no matter who you are, you can always be qual a quality person. Mm -hmm. And it's quality people that make up a quality community. Yeah. And that's where I go back. And I've been saying this in my civic association for many years. Community is common unity and it's inclusion that brings a solution. Yeah. And it's all of us that put the you in community and the you in unity. That's how it works. And, and, and that, it's a very simple process if we follow it. Yeah. Well, George, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I've got to ask, where can people go and find out more about you, follow you on? I don't know if you have social media, but you have a website. If they want to donate, where can they donate? Well, I'm on. You can follow me at georgehav.com. That's my personal Facebook page. We have a website, www.georgehav.com. You could support and find much more about me there where I go into a lot of areas of uh, my stances on certain policies because I'm big on policy. And, uh, you know, look, I look forward to helping everyone. There is no one that I would not, I would turn my back on. That's how I am. I'm a very, very giving guy. I've shown that through my actions throughout the years in many, many domains. I have done work and raised books for kids in Kenya. I have helped fund a, a reading room in Harlem. I have helped the seniors in our community, especially during covid to make sure they had food delivered to them. I don't turn my back on anyone. And I'm there to help everyone. And I'm there to help everyone in our community. And as a council member, I will be accessible. I will be reliable. I will be open. I will be honest. And unlike our current council member, I will be truthful. Ah, uh, 
finishing off with, I think, a truth bomb, if you will. Um, but, George, thank you very much for the time today. I really appreciate it. I'll give you the, the that sounded like the last word, but I'll give you one more shot at the last word right there. Well, I say this. I mean, one of my mantras is this, and it's a little bit long winded. And I use this and this is something that we could all take to heart. If we want to keep and reap the blessings of our fine quality of life, we must all endure the fatigue of supporting it. Simply meaning we have work to do. Mm -hmm. We got to do it together. We got to do it in a unified manner. And we could be successful. Because you know what? Coming together is a beginning. Staying together is where it's about. Yeah. That's what it's about. And we could do this. Well, George, thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it, Andrew. And good luck to you and God bless you and your family. Thank you. Good luck on the campaign trail. And we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for joining another episode of Not That Andrew with George Haverneck from City Council District 13.